years ago, I preached through the book of Ephesians and thoroughly enjoyed doing so. And I want us to go back to a, a chapter that we spent a good bit of time on dealing with uh, the attacks of the enemy against God's people, about the, about the uh, armor that God gives us. And I want to talk a little bit about this this evening, if I can do that. So let's bow our heads together for a few minutes of prayer. Father, I do pray for Doug and Paul, and I pray, Lord, for you to help him as he, he tries to get back to the States to be able to finish the packing details so that they can ship it all and get their belongings to the DR, get set up there, and to go on doing what they've done most of their lives, plant churches. Lord, I'm excited about being a part of that, and I'm excited about that new church that they're going to be planting in a new area. And I just pray, Lord, that we can blanket the Dominican Republic with missionaries proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And many of the Dominicans, many of the Haitians who come from uh, Haiti over into the Dominican Republic, that, that we can reach many of them. Those that work out in the sugarcane, uh, out in the sugarcane villages, uh, Lord, where we've been, that, Lord, they can hear the truth of the love of Jesus for them. So bless Brother Doug and Miss Paula. Lord, I know their heart is here. I know they wanted to be here. I know they wanted to share with us. They spent many years here with us. Uh, in the establishment of Daystar. And, and now, Lord, uh, they're going back to, to do what you gave them to do from the very early days of their ministry. So, Lord, bless them, even though they can't be here tonight. And then, Lord, speak to our hearts this evening as we talk for a few minutes about the, the, the battle that rages all around us and help us to be prepared for that battle. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. About 20 years ago, and don't hold me to that number, it's, that's an about number. About 20 years ago, <clears throat> Mary and I were in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, visiting with our family. Mrs. Miss Artie was still alive. She was with us. And we decided to go downtown to Dr. Charles Stanley's church. Uh, our friends, uh, Bobby and Tracy, uh, were going to be there on that Sunday evening, as they were every Sunday morning and evening. And Bobby was a member of Dr. Stanley's staff. Uh, and we were looking forward to being able to worship together that evening uh, in one of uh, Dr. Stanley's services. We've been there before, uh, but this was going to be an opportunity to be able to be with our friends there uh, at the church. We sat, if you remember, if you've seen it on the television, they got pews from here to here. And you know, then it goes way back. Uh, we sat over here. Uh, sort of off to his flank because there weren't any other seats. <laughs> you know how there's plenty of seats tonight for my message? There weren't enough seats. Uh, you, couldn't, you, had to, you had to take what was available to get you know, the six or so seats that we needed together. We set off over here on his flank. I uh, will never forget hearing that sermon. We, we were there. The music was incredibly beautiful. It was a wonderful, uh, you know, music was incredible. He he walked as he always does. He has his Bible and he holds it up. Of course, he's in heaven now. You know that, right? So he doesn't do this anymore. But he, he'd hold his Bible up like this and he walks from a chair out with his Bible up and he's always answering a question. Uh, he's got a question in his mind before he ever uh, gets to the 
you know, to the message itself, and he's going to answer the, the message is an answer to that question. What do you do if? What, you know, what happens if? He's got a question in his mind. He brings the question, and he stepped out that, that night, with his, held his Bible up. He walked right out to that place where he always stands. He's always dressed in a nice suit. Maybe that's why I don't have, have some empty seats tonight. He always dressed in a nice, nice suit, and he stood there, and he preached from Ephesians chapter 6 for a little over an hour. Um, I didn't know it was an hour. I had no knowledge that it was an hour. I was so engrossed in the message, I, I did not even think that much time had passed. But when he finally finished the message and I looked down at my watch, I realized, man, it was an hour. But it was like, you know, when you're in a, uh, a roller coaster ride and you're going down one of those really steep hills and it feels like you're not even sitting on the seat, like you're sort of floating in the air. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you're sort of floating in the air. That's what it felt like. I sat there in the seat. Mary will remember. She was, she was with me. It was like we were f- sort of floating in the air. And, and then when he finished, you know, he was, he was back down to the seat. And you realize, man, it's been over an hour. He's been, been preaching from Ephesians chapter 6. And he reminded us in that message that, you know, this is not a playground that where we live, that this is a battlefield, that we are in a war, and we are in a war for the souls of men and women, and every Christian, every believer in Christ has an enemy, and that enemy is attacking and fighting that battle against us, and so he went on. I don't remember the points of the message. I should have written them down. I didn't write them down. I know he encourages people to write them down, but I was too engrossed in the message and too caught up in what he was saying and, you know, just sensing the, the presence of God as, as he was preaching that, that I didn't write it all down. I just know that I realized again that night that we're in a war, that Satan is attacking and trying to take down the children of God. And we have to be prepared. We have to be clothed in the armor of God. We have to recognize the battle that's before us, that we're not on a playground, that we are on a battlefield. And we have to be prepared as believers in Jesus Christ um, to meet that battle and to stand there against the enemy that wants to destroy. I don't know if you feel as I feel. And sometimes I wonder if it's just my age you know, the older you get, you feel more ominous about things. You know, the, the, you look around and you think to yourself, I remember my daddy saying that, and I thought, Dad, that, you know, now I'm his age. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm thinking, man, there's some things going on that I know are satanic. I know they are the work of the devil. I know they are the enemy trying to destroy us if at all possible and I don't know if you feel that or not but I I can tell you when I I come to the pulpit and and I preach I feel that opposition not from you personally but I feel that opposition in greater ways than I used to feel that opposition when I'm going through the community and I'm out in the community I feel that opposition toward Christ toward Christians, toward his church, toward the truths of God in ways that I don't remember feeling it previously. 
that there is a battle in the unseen world, a battle in the unseen world that is waging, that is being waged against us and against all that is God and all of those things that are of God. I don't know if you feel that battle. I look across America and I see what's going on as far as it relates to the disasters, the natural disasters, whether it's fires, whether it's floods, whether it's drought, whether it's pestilence like COVID, whether it's other kinds of things of that nature. And I see today, I feel that I see today attacks from things that I didn't used to feel when I was younger. Does that make sense to you? That Satan is working to stop the gospel. He's working to handicap the church. He's working to destroy families. And maybe that is the thing that bothers me as much as any. The number of kids that I see and talk to and sometimes deal with, that their lives are so messed up. But they came out of families that are so messed up. And there's a war going on. There's a battle being waged. You can see vestiges of it that manifest themselves at times amongst us but there's a war in the heavenlies that's going on. There's a war in the spiritual realm where you cannot see that's going on every moment of every day. And it feels to me as if the intensity of that battle has been turned up and is greater than I remember it being in my 65 years of life. Recently, our president announced that he was running for a second term. And in his announcement that I watched, he said that we're in a battle for the soul of our nation. We're in a battle, those are his words, for the soul of our nation. Now, to be honest with you, When I heard those words that were in that recorded video of what he had to say, I had to stop and ask the question, which side of the war are you on? On whose side of the war are you on? And please, understand something. I'm, I'm apolitical when it comes to... To, to the services of the church, the church. This is not about Democrats or Republicans or Independents or Green Party or whatever else it is. I'll vote for the right person who holds the right policies, regardless of what your part, what your, what your party is. Period. But I had the question that was raised in my mind: On whose side are you on? We have the present administration that is fighting tooth and nail to try to let mothers kill their babies in their wombs. 
I watched a, a medical doctor, and I, I respect medical doctors. I don't wish to malign them in any possible way. I need medical doctors going forward, so I don't want to make them mad at me. But I saw an OBGYN that was being interviewed on the news, and she was telling why this abortion pill was so important to her health care practice for the women. And she started crying. If these women don't get this pill and they're not able to use this pill, then it's going to destroy the lives of some of my patients in my practice. And I couldn't help but ask the question, whose side are you on? Do we ever stop to ask the question, who's looking out for the babies? Who's speaking on their behalf? You're going to solve what you think of as a problem for this mother. But in the, problem, in, in the process of solving what you think of as a problem for this mother, you're going to kill a baby to do it. Whose side are you on? Or the administration, and please, I'm not harping on this. I'm just telling you, this is the battle we're, we're fighting. I used to think the great battle we would fight would be with abortion, and it has been for a long, long time. And thank God there was some progress made with that past uh, Supreme Court decision. We have a long way to go. But I think the greater battle is on the front of gender and on the front of uh, gender dysphoria and on the front of transgenderism and on the front of uh, lesbianism and homosexuality. Um, and the policies of the present administration that are determined, they are de people can do what they want to do. This is America. But they are determined to make us approve of their, of, of their actions and to make us agree with what they're doing because we are the bigots and we are the hate mongers and, and we're the weird people who need to be silenced and who need to be canceled. We're in a war. We're in a battle. We're watching hundreds of thousands cross the border. We have no idea who they are, where they're going. And while I believe we should be compassionate because they're taking advantage of what is given them, the reality is we don't know what they're doing. We don't know where they're going. We know what it does to our financial system. We know what it does to our health care system in taking care of them. And we're watching it unfold, and you have an administration who says the border's closed. The border's closed. Then how do you have 100,000 people crossing over a short period of time, that doesn't compute in my brain. And I have to stop and I have to ask the question, whose team are you on? Uh, we're not talking about Christian nationalism. We, we are a nation that's built on the freedom of religion, at least in part, built on the freedom of religion. So people don't have to believe what we believe. They don't, we, we should not go back to the way it was in England where, where you make people uh, join the church and that's just, you know, where the government is Christian. We're not, we're not talking about that. 
I'm not talking about Christian nationalism. I have a man that writes me about it and um, thinks all of you are a bunch of Christian nationalists. Um, that you just want to enforce Christianity on everybody. I don't want to force Christianity on anybody. I want to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody, and I want you to trust in Christ for yourself. I want you to know that this is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you. You you can become a child of the living God, but you hear them talking about the numbers of people that are crossing the border, and yet they say it's closed, and you have to say, whose team are you on? Who are you fighting for? I could go on like that, talking about subjects of that matter that disturb me. I think that America is under attack. I think God's church is under attack. I think Christians are in a war, a spiritual war. Please don't misunderstand those terms. I'm not telling you to go get guns and bombs. That's wrong. That's dead wrong. I'm telling you, though, there is a spiritual war that if you could pull back the the realm of the spiritual and look within the realm of the spiritual, I think you would see a war that is being waged that we see breaking out around us, whether it's people crossing the border, whether it's uh, the gender dysphoria, or whether it's um, the cancel culture, or whether it's all of these other things. There's a war that is being fought. And we have to understand that there's a war going on. We've got to come to a place where we quit playing church and recognize that we are God's representatives here. And by the way, as American citizens, we have as much right to be heard as anybody else has a right to be heard. We have as, we have as much a right to influence policy as anybody else has a right to influence policy. And we cannot go silent. We cannot hide away. We've got to enter into the battle prepared, as we're going to talk about, prepared. We've got to enter into the battle. Have you watched your television set? I got rid of cable television. I have streaming. I'm able to stream our local channels, and I'm able to stream my favorites like HGTV. I don't even like watching HGTV anymore because every few couples are a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Every few commercials are something to do with this gender debate that's going on. So I'm, I'm basically down to whatever I record. Am I the only one that feels this way? Or am I, are y'all, y'all sort of feel the same thing? Or, or anybody with me? I mean, there's a war going on. We don't fight this war with bullets and bombs. That's not how you fight this war. But the Apostle Paul tells us some things about this war. I want you to look at it with me for just a moment. If we're going to be victorious soldiers in this battle, and I don't know if we'll win the war, but if we're going to be victorious soldiers fighting in this war... There's some things that we've got to know from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 14. He says, finally, my brethren, he comes to the end of the letter, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Stand, therefore, having girt having girded uh, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and then he goes on listing the different pieces of the armor that God intends for us to have. There's four things I want to point out to you just briefly if I can. If we're going to be victorious soldiers in this war, we need enlightenment. Number one, we need enlightenment. That is, we need enlightenment as to the enemy and to the enemy's attack. Well, you notice in verse 11, he calls it the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means the manner, the method, the scheme. In other words, Satan is someone who has, he has a goal. He has a purpose. He's working towards something very specific, and he has everything organized so that it moves toward what he wants to accomplish. Think about some of Satan's strategy for a moment. He, he mixes, in the scripture, he mis- mixes error and truth. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, he, he gives just enough truth to Eve and mixes it with the lie, and he deceives her. And Satan mixes error with truth. Uh, he misquotes scripture. When you're, you're dealing with uh, Eve or you're dealing with Jesus, when he's out... Uh, those 40 days out in the, in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him to tempt him. In Matthew 4, 6, he misquotes the Bible. It's important, that we, it's, important, it's important that we know what the Bible says and that we interpret it properly, right? He masquerades as an angel, as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14. You realize that if Satan were to walk in here you, you wouldn't see him with the horns and a pitchfork and a red cape. He'd be one of the most attractive personalities that you could possibly imagine. And yet he's masquerading as the angel of light. He mimics God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about a day that's to come in the tribulation. Uh, well, even beyond that. He tries to mimic the miracles and the things that God does. He tries to confuse people and tries to do something that is like what God does, but it's not what God does. And one of the evidences of that, or one of the ways you're going to see that, we're not going to see it, but those that are living in the tribulation are going to see it, is when that statue is placed in the temple and it comes alive. And that statue that was lifeless before begins to speak. By the way, I didn't know how that would happen until I started reading about artificial intelligence. And I just saw recently a, a program about how they're going to be doing uh, movies and acting in the future. They can act, literally have an actor who does the acting. They take the face of the actor who's famous, they map it, so that they know how the mouth moves, the nose moves, the ears move. Have somebody else do all the acting, and then they take the face and they just put it on this other actor when the movie is done. 
so that you think that that famous actor is the one who did all this acting, but it wasn't the famous actor at all. It was this other person, this double that was doing the work with the face of this individual. And they showed a clip of a movie that, or a part of a movie that was done that way. You could not tell that that person whose face had been covered with the face of the famous individual, you could not tell that they were two different people. He mimics God. His strategy, he misleads people to believe he doesn't exist. I don't know if you know this or not. Your kids, our grandkids, are exposed to Sam Harris and the like. They can find that information anywhere they want on the internet. All you got to do is say, I want an alternate, just start searching. You're looking for something that's an alternate perspective on Christianity. I promise you, there'll be a dozen, there'll be a hundred, there'll be thousands of Sam Harris's that'll mislead them to believe that he doesn't exist. That's his strategy. His strategy is to make promises that good can come from wrongdoing. Luke chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. If you do this which is wrong, then that's okay because what's going to come from the wrong is something that's good. In other words, Satan has a strategy, and that strategy, to me, seems to be more at work than it's ever been at work, at least from my perception in the 65 years I've been alive. If we're going to be victorious soldiers, we need enlightenment. Enlightenment as to his strategy. We need enlightenment as to his sophistication. Let's not forget Satan is sophisticated. You notice the structure that's here, verse 12? He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you see the structure? I mean, from where we are, right on up, you can see the structure of how these things are going to be carried out because this uh, demonic force that is at work today not only is working according to Satan's strategy, but is working in a sophisticated way. You think the Internet's a sophisticated way? If you were going to try to grasp the minds of children, what would you do? Number one, you would make sure that you introduce things into the school system so that they could be indoctrinated over a long period of time to hear things that are not the truth, that contradict the Scripture, so that by the time they got to the age of investigating something different, something that was potentially biblical, that they wouldn't even be interested in looking at it, they have already settled on their perspective and their opinion. And while we live in a little bit of an enclave where there's some relative protection, everything seems to get to us a little later than it gets to everybody else, thank God for that. It ultimately gets here. If you were going to get to your children, what would you do? You'd put a phone in their hand so that when you're not looking and you don't know what they're looking at, they can look at anything without the perspective of a Christian parent or a pastor or 
a godly individual to oversee what they're talking about and give them a deeper understanding and to give them a complete picture. Satan is sophisticated. If you were going to destroy America, what would you do? You'd destroy the churches. You'd get churches to abandon the Bible. You'd get them to accept the culture, to become like the culture, so that they become neutralized, they become little more than social organizations where we meet together and interact with one another. I mean, if, if you were Satan, you, you would attack the family in a ruthless fashion. Do you see the children around you? Not yours. Do you see the children around you? They've never had a stable home. They've never known what it was to have a mother or father. They've had parents that are drug addicts. They've had parents that didn't want to work. They've grown up, not all of them, some of them, grown up in families where, that are broken. They don't know what a normal family looks like. They have no knowledge of it. If you wanted to destroy somebody's life, what would you do? You'd mess with the family. Let's, let's mess up the family. Let's, let's do away with marriage between a man and a woman. You don't need a man and a woman to, to be a mother or a father. Two men can be... Two men can raise children. Two women can raise children. Somebody that's confused about his gender, her gender can become something other such that A male goes into the girl's locker room to take showers, a transgender, goes into a locker room to take a shower next to three biological girls, and they argue that that should be acceptable? If we're going to be victorious soldiers, we need to be enlightened. Our enemy has a strategy, and our enemy is sophisticated, and our enemy is at work. This is not a playground. This is a battlefield. Number two, victorious soldiers need empowerment. If we're going to overcome this battle, we've got to be empowered from on high. Verse 10. Verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You see the three words? Strong, power, might. You see them? Strong, power, might. You realize that just a chapter or two back in chapter 1 in verse 19, you realize that in uh, verses 19 and 20, he uses those same three words in reference to the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, he's telling us that while there is a sophistication to our enemy and a strategy, we need to be enlightened. Get your head out of the sand. Recognize what's going on around you. Pay attention. We need to understand that in this battle, we need a power that is beyond our power. We need the power of the Almighty God. Amen? First John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do we still believe that, church? We better believe that. 
And we can't do this in the energy of the flesh. We can't do this in our own ingenuity. We have to have the empowerment of the Spirit of God because ultimately this is about showing people another way. This is about showing people the gospel of God. This is about showing people how Jesus changes people's lives by the power of the gospel. And we've got to be empowered. Are you asking God to enable you and empower you? I'm an average kind of a person. Everybody knows that. Just, just an average Joe. I, uh, I can't think very quickly. Never could. You put a test in front of me on a school, at a school when I was growing up, put the test in front of me, and my mind went blank. I studied every, every answer on that test, but my mind immediately went blank. When I took the entrance exam to get into Bible school, to study for the ministry, they give you an entrance exam, then they give you an exit exam to see if you learned anything. When I took the entrance exam, I came to who is the mother of Jesus? And I couldn't remember her name. You say, surely you know it's Mary. Well, if I'd have just written the girl's name sitting next to me down, I'd have got it right. That's, that's, that's my mind. It's, 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 you know, I'm not the kind of individual who, you don't want me on your debate team. When I give you an answer, you better believe that answer is going to be right, but it's going to take me a little while to get that answer for you. You, you don't want me being a doctor in the surgery room who's got to make an instant decision because I'm going to want to go check the textbook first. Say, I know it says you're supposed to connect this to that and this to that, but I wonder what would happen if you connected them opposite of this. That's just, that's just, that's just me. That's just the way I operate. And I don't, do, I don't operate much. Actually, I don't operate at all. The only way that I can do anything that I do is if God enables me and helps me to do it. You realize that you got to pretty weak preacher and the only way we can do what we do is if God makes it possible there ain't anybody when I'm dead and gone and you plant me down here in Ridgelawn there's nobody's going to say wow that pastor was some kind of awesome leader they're going to say if God can do something with him there's hope for everybody that's what they're going to say I, no, no Charles Stanley is standing here but you know what God can do things through anybody who yields himself or herself. His power is greater than our power. You believe that? If we're going to be victorious soldiers, we've got to, we need enlightenment. We need empowerment. We need equipment. I'm not going to read all the pieces of the armor, but he says put on the whole armor of God. Put on every piece of the armor every day. You've got to put on that armor, every piece of that armor. Because every day, you're going out into a battle. Every single day, out into a battle. But lastly, if we're going to be victorious soldiers, we need encouragement. We need encouragement. And you find the encouragement in the verses 11, 13, and 14. In those uh, verses, you find the word stand four times. In verse 11, he says, stand against. In verse 13, he says, withstand. It's the same word, to withstand. At the end of the verse, he says, to stand. And he gets to verse 14, he says, stand. 
stand. The posture that we're supposed to have as believers in Jesus Christ in the midst of this war, covered by the armor of God, is that we're supposed to be standing, and it means to be standing against. Because listen to me, you don't have to go looking for the battle. Satan is bringing the battle to us. The posture is the posture of standing. The period in which we stand, do you notice it? He says, in this evil day, in this evil day. I don't know if you know that the evil of this day, down in verse 13, is at least it seems to me greater than I've ever seen it. In this evil day is when we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God to stand Do you notice he says the permanence of our stand in verse 13? He says we're to stand. What are you supposed to do after you've done all these things? You're to stand. And you're supposed to stand there, period. You're not supposed to back up. You're not supposed to run away. You're not supposed to move out of your post. You're supposed to stand. Having done everything that's necessary, all the preparations have been made. You're ready. It's now time for you to stand. And there's to be a permanence of that stand. We're in a war. I don't know if we'll win the war here because I, you realize this I believe we're going to get to about dispensationalism. Churches and preachers are abandoning that approach of hermeneutics left and right all the time. I still believe that we're not getting better and better. If this is getting better and better, I don't want any more of it. If we're supposed to be getting better and better until we usher in the kingdom, man, we're not doing real good right now. I don't believe that's what's happening at all. I think the scripture teaches that as we come closer to the coming of Jesus, it gets worse and worse until Jesus comes and grabs his children and snatches them out of this world. And then there's seven years of tribulation. There's a hell on earth like has never been experienced before. The Antichrist is revealed He demands to be worshipped. You've got to take the mark in the hand or in the forehead. You can't buy or sell without it. There's death and destruction going on everywhere. You think it's bad now, the natural disasters are bad now? Wait till that time. It's unbelievable until Jesus comes at the end and Jesus overthrows Satan and Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth. But look, we're right back here. Tim was talking about at the church age. This is the time for us to stand in this battle. This is the time for us to stand in this battle. It's not popular and it's not easy. You get vilified and you get attacked. You get made fun of. You get called names. You get hated. You get bad emails. But this is the time to stand, church. This is, I don't know who's going to run. I don't know who's, I do know some that are running. I don't know who all's going to run. And this is not a political statement, but I'm just telling you. We better be warriors. We better put on that armor and the power of the Spirit of God, knowing that Satan has a scheme that he's working out to destroy as much as is possible. And until Jesus comes, we better stand. We better stand.